One of my favorite things to do with dogs is to watch them figure out how to problem solve. I like watching them figure out how to navigate the world that we're asking them to live in and to have fun while doing it. At School for the Dogs, we specialize in selling enrichment toys for dogs. These are also sometimes called work-to-eat toys. They can help a dog refine their problem-solving abilities, can help them burn off physical and mental energy in a way that is not destructive, it can help slow down their eating, and it can also just help them enjoy themselves. I kind of think puzzle toys might be the canine equivalent of playing Fortnite or doing the crossword. Go for the Dogs' new Brainy Box is a monthly subscription box where every month we will send you one of our favorite canine enrichment toys along with one of our favorite types of treats. You will only receive things that have been vigorously tested by our staff and student body. Sign up today at schoolforthedogs.com slash brainybox. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your first month or your payment for the full first year when you use the code brainybox15. I feel like just being like, it felt like we were just there and we were able to see like how things played out in real life when, when tough training questions come up, when random training questions come up, when like things happen, like a dog pees on the floor in the middle of a session or like, I don't know, or a a dog needs a different type of assignment because they're struggling with something and, you know, how to kind of answer questions that are tough, how to like move training sessions along and like in a real way. Cause you can like in the course, we kind of had like a module on that as well. And then seeing it actually, especially seeing like the trainers that do it the same way in the course, right? Because it's like the school for the dogs method. It was kind of like a whole big picture of everything. If you follow us on Instagram, TikTok, then you have seen Leah Weissman, who is a recent graduate of the School for the Dogs professional course. You are about to get to know her a little bit more. You can learn more about the professional course at schoolforthedogs.com slash professionalcourse22. I am thrilled to have you on the podcast yet again. (laughs) Maybe you can just introduce yourself. Uh, My name is Leah Wiseman, and I took the 2021 professional course, and um, I also do social media for School for the Dogs, Uh, so I do a lot of the coordination for the Instagram page and some TikToks and things like that. Which are really awesome and fun, and um, I love how you just go for it. Yeah. You gotta, you really have to. I mean, uh, yeah, it's kind of like, if you don't, then there's like, you're not gonna really make good content, right? Nobody's gonna watch something that you're not like, being authentic in. Um, Yeah, and you just gotta like, put yourself out there. I think it's a lesson about so many things. um, And some people really can't do it. And when you do do it, you're accepting risk. Yeah, you're accepting, you're opening yourself up to the possibility of failure and criticism, which can be no small thing, right? Yeah. Um, I'm surprised by like the amount of positive feedback that I get and do like have gotten and for, you know, TikToks and videos and things because there's just like, there's not a lot of like, oh, 
you're ugly or you're stupid. Sometimes it's like, <laughs> sometimes, and then I'm the face of it. And it's like, <laughs> I don't yeah. know, but most of the time it's actually like, like, for example, um, somebody at this local pet store, um, follows us on TikTok and on, you know, Instagram too. And I went in there yesterday and they're like, Oh, we follow school for the dogs. And the videos are so helpful for our relationship with our dog. And I was like, this is just, I don't know. This is like, this is it right here. This is the feeling of like, um, why it's all worth it. And so it's cool to like reach people in this way where I feel like it's very like one-sided, but it's not. (laughs) You know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking like this conversation feels like that to me because I know that you got through, you got to school for the dogs through the podcast. And that feels like such a one way thing. So much of the time me sitting in my neighbor's apartment by myself (laughs) Uh, and feeling like, what's the point of like, of making myself vulnerable and putting this stuff out there and saying what I think and not airbrushing everything like, and, and giving it my, you know, a lot more time and energy than one would imagine. And, and the payoff is that, like I, you know, got someone like you to see this amazing, um, I mean, career, but I mean, but like this new kind of world, um, where you're now going and helping other people, like, it's just so gratifying to me. Um, and, um, and the fact that you can do that by like, you know, talking to people who you don't even know and who you don't know are listening or, by like appearing in like a two inch tall video on the phone of the guy at the pet store, you know, it's really, it's a really cool thing about, about the world. Um, but let's pat ourselves on the back for being the, the darers and the doers who are putting ourselves out there, even though it can be really scary. Yeah. And I think that was like one of the biggest things about like wanting to, take the professional course from school for the dogs was because I knew so much about like, um, like your methodology your values, your like points of view. And like, it wasn't just like, I don't know. I was able to really like get a feel of like, like what you were like as the owner, what a lot of your trainers were like because you've interviewed them on the podcast and like, I don't know, it was just, it made me feel like I like connected with you and like knew the kind of people that I was going to be learning from, which was really nice. And I I feel like now I'm so grateful that I did make that choice because I feel like the professional course is a lot more than some of the other courses that I looked at because of like this, It's a a lifestyle. (laughs) Yeah, it it totally is. And like, because of the fact that um, also like your school, a facility have different trainers, like a good, a good like amount of trainers. And I think also the fact that they were like really open and willing to teach and like be observed um, and clients were willing to be observed, like that was pretty invaluable. Yeah. I mean, I think just going back to what you say, we were saying before, I think, I think there are a lot of 
I think there are a lot of good programs now, actually, for people wanting to become dog trainers online. Um, from the beginning, what made us want to offer the professional course was, um, well, it actually started when, when Anna Ostroff was coming to us as a client and was interested in, I think I talked to her about this on the episode, she was interested in doing the Karen Pryor Academy. And I was like, and she wanted me to write her a letter of recommendation. And I was like, I will absolutely do that. Like, that's a great idea. And when she was actually the third client um, who had come through, who was like, I'm really into this. This is what I want to do. I'm going to do KPA. And she, but she was the third one. And I was like, you know what, like you could go do KPA and, and it'll be great. But like, you could also, we could also develop a similar curriculum, but that where you could also be working with dogs here, which, you know, KPA, like you have to work with your own dog only. I mean, I guess you could work with other dogs, but they don't really facilitate that. Um, and so when we, you know, this last round was our first fully virtual version of the professional course. And I worried a little bit about losing that element of it. Although, um, I think this next round, we're going to figure out ways to let people have some more hands-on time, um, if at least if they're local, mm-hmm. um, or in, maybe maybe in certain pockets of the country. Um, but more than that, what you're saying makes me feel like maybe what we have that some of the other programs don't have is a very understandable and relatable brand, whereas a lot of the other programs don't have like. I I, I don't know. I mean, I've, the the notion of what a brand is has always been kind of like interesting to me and you know we didn't set out to create like a brand but I think it's it has to do with sort of a general feeling about like for instance like when we opened our our space it was after Kate and I had worked for several months at dog out of a dog daycare and I know we both felt like like this needs to feel like a place where people want to be right because it's like people are our customers um, yeah not just the dogs and like, how can we think about like what makes sense to us and what feels good to us and like how we can communicate that in a way that's, you know, not like overly pedantic, um, but that's kind of like fun. And I, I feel like because we've approached it from that direction organically, rather than being like, we're going to be an organization that train, trains dog trainers, mm-hmm. maybe we've managed to somehow make up for the fact that like our um, professional course students are no longer coming to the actual studio because, like you said, we're, there there are these other ways of connecting. Um, totally, yeah. So, tell me about how you even thought to look up a dog training podcast to begin with. I know from talking to you a little bit before that you were not really ever you weren't you're not like I always loved dogs since my childhood. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> like. A million other dog professionals out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's kind of interesting. Um, I thought I loved dogs. Uh, I didn't really love dogs. I liked the idea of dogs. And so... You didn't didn't have them in your house growing up then? No, I I actually... No, I mean, I had a... I adopted a, a boxer puppy. I, like, convinced my dad to buy me a boxer puppy from Craigslist, actually, and um brought it home and named it Bella and then like the next day the landlord called and was like you can't have a puppy and like my dad should have really checked on this um so then I I found like a neighbor because I lived in this really like nice town and so one of my neighbors had a boxer and so I like was like do you guys take her and they like did and they just 
took her on as their own and they gave her like this amazing life. So that was my only experience with a dog. So I was kind of like traumatic actually thinking about it, like to get a <laughs> puppy and then like name it and love it and then immediately be like, <laughs> oh, how old were you again? Like 10. Aww. So that was the only experience I ever had with a dog. Um, and then, um, you know, got George, rescued him uh, for my fiance because, like, I wasn't a dog person. I, I genuinely were, really didn't like dogs on the bed. Like, I was like, I have really bad OCD. So, you know, actually now it's kind of crazy that I, like, let George put his butt on my pillow every single night. But it's just like what happens when you fall in love with a dog, and, <laughs> and that's that's gonna be the pull quote right there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it really was just like you. I mean, we just like I don't know what it was. I just like got this overwhelming motherly pull after I brought him home, and it was like nothing else mattered in the world. Now you, because your your boyfriend had a, uh, or your, your fiance, sorry, had a had a. Uh, I always think that's a funny word. My fiance, my fiance, my uh, he, he, you guys had a dog before George, right? Yeah, we had and, this this boxer. Her name was Maddie. And did you train Maddie at all? No, at you, all. Were, were you into Maddie? No, I mean not really. It was like like thinking and saying that now. It's like so sad because there was this whole relationship that she would have totally loved to have with me. And I just like, was like, it's a dog. Like, I'm like, I didn't really even think twice about her. Like I pet her and cuddle with her and take pictures with her. But like, there was just no like realizing that there was all of these emotions. Like I was raised, like, it's just a dog. So, Mm. So um, it was just so crazy that like it switched so quickly when I got George. What it, what what does that mean to you? It's just a dog. Like what? It, how would you describe that? Like it's just a dog to me. Like my dad is very old fashioned and says like silly, stupid things like that to uh, simplify something or make him make it feel like it's you know not important. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I know when I was talking to, to uh, my friend Meredith on the on, a, on an episode a few months ago, um, she she was talking about how her do- her dad used to say that to her too. It's yeah, just a yeah. dog, but I think it's like it's it's like a I think it speaks to a general way of like this sort of almost I, I want to say macho, but I don't think it's necessarily male way of putting down dog ownership as if it's below, I don't know. It's something that's like below car ownership. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. Like, that, a way that that... like giving, giving over emotion to this thing that is kind of a low grade hobby is um, a little pathetic. Yeah. Like, yeah. It totally does. Like that's like the vibe that you get. Um, <laughs> like, it's not like it's not a kid or something so anyway you got george you went to the vet yes and i think the vet was like oh he's really scared and fearful and you know was terrified of the dogs um who are also in here do you want like a few recommendations and like i was like yeah and so 
they recommended, you know, the Puppy Start Right book and School for the Dogs podcast. And I remember downloading the Puppy Start Right book and it was like the the text was wrong, like in iBooks. It was just like couldn't read it very well. So I was like, moving on. School for the Dogs podcast. Like and I started <laughs> You know what's funny is I have that book. Like it's like a blue with like a dog with a life jacket on the cover, right? <laughs> yeah. I think it, I, I've looked through it. I think it's great content. But one of the things that, that keeps me from reading it is like my copy is printed really badly. <laughs> it's like a similar problem. <laughs> I think I've read like, the reviews on the book, on iBooks. It says that. It says that too? It's like yeah. it's like the pages like bleed onto each other. God, it's, it's, it's so unfortunate. It's, it's like, like <laughs> people are missing this like good information because of like book publishing problems. That anyway. is like, that is a big problem with like, the social media thing is like trying to make the information not missable, like by making it too, like, you know, oh, it's so hard. Cause I don't know. By it's making easy. it too what? By making it too much. I don't know. Making it not yeah. interesting enough, not scroll stopping worthy enough. Um, right. But this is like the opposite problem. Like I think they're, problem is like it's actually like printed poorly yeah yeah <laughs> isn't that what you're saying like the ibook was actually like... yeah yeah <laughs> but like if the text is kind of like wonky in a real like i'm not gonna read it i'm just gonna scroll because it's not easy to read so right. it's like right if... right i see what you're saying yeah um so i i literally i don't remember what it was one of the first seasons and it it must have been like a house training one because george was like two months old and apparently super fearful of it. um and also I had Maddie and like they Maddie was like not loving George and I didn't really know what to do and so I think this just whole general idea of not saying no to either one of them was like because at first that's what Jake and I were doing like Maddie would run like they'd run up to each other and Maddie would growl and so I like George would say no to Maddie and I would say no to George and like we'd pull them apart and like that wasn't doing anything. And so some some one of the first season, one of the first episodes you were like saying something about I mean, maybe it was just tossed in really like casually, but something about like not needing the word no or something like that, or alternatives that you can that are more effective. And it was like really like a light bulb went off. Um and then the the there's some really good episodes in the first season that are just like, I literally learned how to do a lot of things with George because of just those podcast episodes, like the house training. And like, um, I listened to like all of them when I was driving to work at my <laughs> old job. Um, cause I had this long commute and, and then that was like, some of the episodes also made me want to become a dog trainer. I remember I was like, this is like, like, amazing i don't know you you like interviewed other dog trainers about their journeys to becoming dog trainers and i was like this is what i like want to do <laughs> and so you started training with with george and um what happened to maddie then i guess maddie died yeah maddie died Aww. so george was like um three and a half months old and maddie that was like and in retrospect, not a good reason to get a puppy at all, um, because it was like, look at the like how it turned out. It was for Jake to replace Maddie because it was going to be really sad because she had cancer and had like 
two months left to live. And we didn't even take into consideration George into that equation, like when we got him, because he was attached to Maddie for his first two months of his life. And then Maddie died. Um, and it was like right. pretty traumatic. Um, well, and, and also thinking about, I mean, I don't really know anything about the situation, but if you have a dog who's old and sick, she might not be keen on having 100%. this, this big puppy. hundred <laughs> percent. So there was, it was like, it was a completely human selfish, like human, um, reason based reason to get him. Um, not taking into consideration either of the dogs. So, I mean, looking back now, like I can totally admit that and I didn't know better. Um, but yeah, so Maddie died when George was like two months old and we had to go take her to be put down because she had a really horrible seizure and I'm sorry, it's getting really depressing. And, and then like George had to come home to, you know, not having his sister there who was always there. Mm. And this was just about the time where like his separation anxiety got really bad. And mm. we noticed that like every time we left him without her, like he would, there would be like blood on the floor or like, you know, something that he was like destroying, like him, like trying to get out of the, the kennel or the playpen. Um, so yeah. So then that was, that was just not like, I wouldn't recommend doing that. Um, well, let, I want to hear more about his separation anxiety, but, um, well, actually, I guess let's start, let's start there. Talk to me about, you know, what it was like and how you dealt with it. Well, I worked with a trainer, uh, for puppy school because after Maddie died, George was really reactive to other dogs, like just I think it was frustration reactivity I'm not really sure just like frustrated um really couldn't settle around other dogs so I signed him up for puppy kindergarten and then started working privately with one of the trainers there who's a certified from like animal behavior college and so she kind of suggested just like crate training him and like not really worrying about it. So I like didn't really worry about it for a while. And then I got a camera and then I set up the camera and was like, like left and watched the camera and I had gone to work. And so I had a far commute. And so I was at work and he was like going off completely, wouldn't stop howling and barking. And it was like the most horrible feeling in the entire world. So I actually left work and was driving home with like the camera up on like my my passenger seat, like just listening to him the whole drive home howling. So how long had that been going on, you think, before you started setting up the camera? Well, probably a few weeks because I mean I wasn't like now I would have been, I think, as like, oh, this is a problem. I was probably like okay, like, that's not great. So he was, like, like, crying when you were leaving and you just hoped he would chill out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I got the advice, you know, obviously from lots of different people, like family members, (laughs) you know. I remember my mother-in-law was like, you have to leave him to cry it out. If you don't, like, that is what's going to cause the separation anxiety to become worse. And I was like so like torn because 
I felt like that was the wrong thing to do. Um, but even like my trainer didn't really have any advice other than like use a food toy, like leave him in his crate and just like, honestly, she literally said, don't watch the camera. And I was like, that's like now thinking back on it. I'm just like, uh, like I would, hmm, I would never say that. (laughs) And she, you said she was a graduate of the ABC program. Is that what it? Yeah. Animal behavior college. So um when I, I I actually don't know anyone who's done the animal behavior college program I don't think and I I probably should know more about it than I do but all I can tell you is that when I very when I first had the idea like maybe I could become a dog trainer I think I subscribed to their list or something and they were all over me oh my god they were like sending me like binders in the mail i mean this was like (gasps) like i don't know 15 years ago or something now and but like calling me all the time just like blowing up my email and i was like they are they really want to do that (laughs) (laughs) and it, it, it actually um it dissuaded me from the program because I yeah. felt like they were too eager to have me. Well, I mean, the the people, the trainers that I do know who have gone to ABC have all told me, and like just from my experience with her and then other trainers who have told me about the program that they've taken is like, it's not, it wasn't enough. And there wasn't anything about separation anxiety other than like, I guess what she said, or like leave a food toy or something. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I yeah, I actually don't even remember if the Karen Pryor Academy goes went into separation anxiety, but but uh, it's because it's what's interesting is it's becoming more and more a specialty that I think is uh, is, a, is and I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, anyway, so how did you how did you change change the the path you are on with uh, George? Well, it just so happened that this uh, puppy kindergarten, so this training place in like Encinitas in San Diego, also had a trainer who was going through the CSAT. And so, uh, can you my, spell out? Can you spell out what that is? So. Yeah, the Certified yeah. Separation Anxiety Training Program from Milano De Martini. Because I remember I was like, "This is not like like I don't like this. This is horrible." Um, and she was like, "Well, we have." Patty, who is going through, you know, the CSAT. And so why don't you call her? And so I like called her and I was like crying and I feel bad for for this, but I I called her crying and she was like, um, told me basically the kind of the gist of like what to do. She was like, don't leave him alone anymore. And I was like, what? Like, that's crazy. Um, And then basically like you are making a contract with your dog right now, like to never leave him alone longer than you can handle. He can handle. And that's going to like really build the foundation. I was like, this sounds really like exactly like it just aligned with how I was feeling. Felt really good. And then she's like, sent me a text and was like, and buy this book. Um, and like, let me know what you think. Cause I told her I was like super into it. Wasn't like, didn't have really enough money to pay for her program, which you know, <laughs> unfortunate. Well, to pay for this trainer's program, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she did she tell you to to buy Milena's book? Yeah. So yeah. she. Told I've her- I've done the same thing with clients. I've said you could work with us on this, but you could also, and we will help you 
you know, but a lot of it's going to be holding your hand yeah. going through what's in this book, which yeah. is great to have that help. But if you can't afford afford it or can't find that, like this is a good resource um, because yeah. she really does break things down and even better, I think, in her newer book. Yeah. Um, I confused the names of both of them, so I'm not going <laughs> to. One, read... one is newer. Yeah, I read both of them, actually. I got both of them. And so I like put them both together. And this is why I was like, I need to become a dog trainer because it was, I was so proud of like how I could read her book and take the concepts and like I was using them and it was working and I was like seeing progress within like a few weeks or whatever. I was like, you know, tiny bit of progress, but I was like, this is like, actually like it's working. Um, and so, and then after a few months, like I could leave him for like 20 minutes and I was like, okay, I feel like really, really good about this. And, and then it just like continued working really well. And afterwards I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to show people that like, first of all, I think the the biggest thing I wanted to do is like tell the world that like there was another way because I personally, and a lot of people in my life didn't even realize that there was another way other than the cry it out method. So that was like my <laughs> big start to TikTok was like, cry it out, be gone. <laughs> <laughs> the cry it out hater. So that's, really? I mean, was that your first TikTok or reels? I-, <laughs> I mean, yeah, a lot of my first reels and TikToks were like, don't leave your dark card out. There's another way. Like, it's slow and steady, but like, read Melina's books, blah, blah, blah. And, and yeah. Now, did your mother-in-law think, tell you, did she tell you that you were bananas? When you yeah. told her that you weren't going to do cry it out, but you were going to never leave him alone? <laughs> yes. And, and my at the time, like my like seven or eight year old or month old nephew was doing the cry it out method with his parents. And so she was like, if you come back in after five minutes, and because he's crying, he's just going to cry for five minutes more and blah, blah, blah. And for weeks and months, like she was telling me this every time I would tell her that like I was coming back in after he started crying or like only going for four minutes or whatever. So I was making progress and guess who wasn't making progress? And like, (laughs) I love them, but it's been two years and the cried out method has still not worked. So (laughs) I think my method is better. Well, you know, extinction is tricky, right? Yeah. My, my, uh, I have, I have a friend who's, they've done it, they've done cry it out with their child three or four times now, um, because, uh, of the spontaneous recovery of behavior, um, that happens. And, and, uh, I, I'm, I'm always careful about equating dogs with children, especially because I think like there's so many inputs in a child's life. Yeah. And so many variables. It's not like yeah. you do cry it out with your kid. Obviously they're going to be screwed up. Yeah. Um, and even with a dog, like yeah. you, you might do bark it out with a dog and have a dog who's like totally fine. Like yeah. didn't bother him at all. Totally. But um, I think because there are so more, f- there, there are fewer inputs for a dog in their lives. There are fewer variables. There's fewer, you know, their, their world is so much smaller in a way. And um, I think the chances of it leading to other problems um, directly seems riskier, you know? Yeah. And riskier in a way that, you know, it's not just going to, you know, make a kid have a, (laughs) grow up to have 
failed relationships or a bad temper, but it could actually like involve somebody getting bitten in the face. Yeah. Yeah. And I did a lot of com- like, like my own like Google research on the cry it out method in human, like when I was first learning about, you know, this method, cause I was like, obviously had my mother-in-law like all in my ear about it. And I was like trying to prove her wrong. And so what's crazy is like my, my nephew never learned to be like, he never learned to self settle. And this is like the thing about some dogs, some humans is just like some of them like won't, maybe it's like the genetic disposition or something, but like with some humans and dogs, like they could be fine and mm-hmm. some just won't like ever. Right. So like he, um, they had to like get a lock on the door. They had to put like a lock on the, um, what is it called for, for babies, a crib. They had to put a lock on the crib so that he couldn't get out. So then, mm. and that just like is very similar to like putting a dog in a crate and then, a like a crash proof crate or whatever, a, um, like an escape proof crate because they're just like trying harder and harder in this way when it's like, let's try the other way. Like, let's, let's just try it and see if it works. Yeah. It's this um, cascading, cascading interventions rather than dealing with the root source of the problem. Yes. Right. Yeah. And actually it's funny cause it relates to what you and I were talking about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about that Facebook post. Yeah. Which I, I, I recorded that, but I don't think I'm going to post it because it, it was like it was, it's it's too, it was it was just too all over the place. Yeah. Um, but I I've been thinking about it, or maybe maybe I will post it. But I don't know. But, but in summary, assuming I post this before I post that, it was about this um, this person on Facebook. I mean, you could go off about so many things on Facebook. I don't know why this one in particular like stuck in my craw, but this woman whose dog was is peeing inside and peeing on the carpet, basically that's the short story of it for a variety of reasons, which it sounds like were, which were pretty well outlined outlined. And yet she was focused. She was posting about like, how do I spot? How is there some sort of light I can use so that I can spot clean the pee off the rug? (laughs) So rather than having to clean the whole rug, like rather than dealing with the, like all the other issues that this dog was like, uh, like terrified of the cat and scared of going outside and like all the, and, and, um, a lot of the comments had to do with like, yeah, combating the problem rather than dealing with like the issue of, of, of the problem. And also attributing all kinds of things to the dog that, that are, you know, completely subjective. Like, yeah, you know, the dog is clearly a spoiled brat. <laughs> yeah. Just being a big baby. Um, did George get called, called names? Manipulative. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's like, well. How 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 were you actually able to like not leave him alone though? Did you have to like, did you? I mean, because that that is a very practical thing that I think keeps some people from approaching um, separation anxiety in a systematic way. Is like, what did you do? Did you bring him to work with you? Did you work from home? Did you get a neighbor? I talked to my mother in law about it and really just like <laughs> begged her to because she was working from home because it was COVID. So I just begged her to like watch him for, you know, I was working half days, I think, out of the house. So I would drive, I'd drive the opposite direction, like 20 minutes and drop him off. And then I would drive like 40 minutes in the other way to, to go to work. 
And so I did that. And then the times that he, that, that she wouldn't um, be able to, I basically asked my employer to work from home and I explained to her and like, she was kind of an animal person. So, and it was COVID. So I kind of like really had like this long discussion about it and it worked out because of those two conversations that I had, like basically getting them to work with me a little bit. And then every day I would work on it a tiny little bit. So I would do 10 minutes of uh, like walking out the back door. So I started with the back door actually. And I would just like leave into the backyard without him and he would stay in the living room. Um, and then I'd come right back and then I would just start going in the backyard for longer and longer. And eventually he was okay with like five minutes in the backyard um, and then I started with the front door, kind of back to zero again, and then um, just started to like generalize, like me living in the backyard, totally easy. You can see me back there because the glass door, um, front yard or the front door, and just slowly after maybe a few months, he was okay with like 20 minutes outside the front door. And were you using, um, were you using a crate or not using a crate? Yeah, so we did use a crate, but before I started the separation training, I had done like the two months of crate training that we were working on initially for the separation anxiety um, that wasn't, you know, helping the separation anxiety, but it, it really did give us like this solid foundation for crate training because he was able to be left alone in the crate with me in the room with the door closed for, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Was he also upset when um, your your fiance would leave, or was it only when you left? Uh, it would be anytime he was completely alone. Okay. So if my fiance was here, he was fine. I guess. I guess what I meant more like is if. All right. So it wasn't about you leaving. It was about being alone. Yeah. Yeah. So technically it was isolation distress, mm-hmm. um, not separation anxiety, which is you know the majority I think of most dogs that have feelings about being left alone is um i think a good majority is isolation distress and it's certainly it's certainly understandable considering that i mean people are probably (laughs) suffering a lot of separation distress too like we're not meant to be so separated and so isolated um yeah i mean I basically tell like people. I mean, my, my daughter can't be in a room by herself, right? Yeah. Even I, I, if, not just that, like she's going to hurt herself. She's not old enough, but I like she would be scared. Yeah. If, I think it's like a, a basic mammalian survival instinct. I mean, maybe not even just mammalian. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if mammalian's a word. <laughs> mammalian? Mammalian? <laughs> like, like of mammals? <laughs> yeah. Um, Although I think mammal is also is an adjective as well as a noun. Okay. But I'm not sure. Do you know yeah. where the word mammal comes from? No. All mammals, or almost all of them, uh, have mammary glands. It means it has to do with the fact that we, um, we have uh, breast milk. <laughs> that is so interesting. Yeah. Nothing made, made me feel more mammal than more mammalian than uh, <laughs> than breastfeeding. Let's 
turn our focus a little bit to the actual course. Tell me, tell me, I don't know, like, how would you describe it to someone, I guess? Uh, Well, the course consisted of uh, a big chunk of it was like an academic module based, you know, kind of like workbook type thing that we would go through and um, like learn on our own and then have discussions about we had practical assignments for short answer assignments for so based off of every like little module on you know body language animal behavior like reinforcement right so there's a practical I mean there's a um not practical there's like a, a textbook basically yeah like a digital textbook with readings and um some quizzes writing assignments and and lectures right and video lectures yeah yeah and those are done kind of like on a weekly basis right yeah yeah so over like the six months I think the last month was all finals um Mm -hmm. but yeah so we would go through the textbook and we would kind of like deep dive into each topic we had office hours weekly so it was like a small group of I think there's four of us and then M the course manager leader who was amazing and you know gave us the opportunity to explore the topics you know with him and then with each other ask questions about you know things kind of even like we would go into a deep dive on the topic and then we would go into like other questions that we had about you know certain things that were related um that we might come up with and in our training careers um, and discuss that. And then uh, it was also cool because I feel like with the the small group, we all really got to know each other too and felt comfortable like talking to each other off of Alpha's hours. You know, we would message about, you know, the practical assignments and maybe, yeah. you know, do things like that, which was awesome. Yeah, I mean, you want to be seeing what other people are working on. Um, so the practical stuff you did with George and George and other dogs? Yeah, I did it, uh, George mostly. And then also, um, which was actually great because me and Sarah were both the virtual and we both had two different dogs to work with. So I had my mother-in-law's dog. Um, like a five-year-old golden doodle, mini golden doodle. And she was a completely different experience in working with George because she did not have a strong history of quicker training and, you know, reinforcement. Um, But also she was much more like confident and like less scared of new things. Um, Kind of George is a little bit apprehensive about things. He always has been. Um, so it was just, it was good to get the opportunity to like do assignments with her and him. Um, and then Sarah, I think worked with her dog and her partner's dog. And then Elise and Iona Lee were in person and they got to work with a bunch of different dogs, which was pretty awesome. So it was great. I think we all had, um, the opportunity to work with like more than just our dog. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's also the aspect of shadowing sessions. Um, Which was amazing. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about 
that because I think that too is something kind of unique about this program. Totally. I think that was like the 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 biggest I don't know just like overall confidence builder because I was seeing exactly I was like a fly on the wall but also some of them like some of the clients did interact with you and you were like a fly on the wall. So it was like, we also got to chat about their dog, about, you know, what they were doing. Um, and then some of the times we would just be watching like a whole group session from like the zoom in the class and the trainer would take us around and be able to show everything. But then also we would kind of just be like sitting and watching for an hour, which was really nice because we would also take notes on everything and like we had these sheets to like take the information down on Mm -hmm. but I feel like just being like it felt like we were just there and we were able to see like how things played out in real life when when tough training questions come up Mm -hmm. when random training questions come up when like things happen like a dog pees on the floor in the middle (laughs) of the session or like I don't know or a a dog needs a different type of assignment because they're struggling with something and you know how to kind of answer questions that are tough how to like move training sessions along and like in a real way because you can like in the course we kind of had like a module on that as well and then seeing it actually especially seeing like the trainers that do it the same way in the course right because it's like the school for the dogs method it was kind of like a whole big picture of everything. So uh, were there any specific moments with clients that you remember or any, any of the lectures or the, um, or the office hours that, that were particularly memorable? I mean, Melina De Martini. All <laughs> <Like, laughs> oh, right. We had her talk. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like some, I'm really amazing other trainers too. Like I really didn't know much about service dog training. So that was amazing. Um, learning all about different like areas of training that are different specialties from the actual like trainers themselves when they work like who are doing it and coming in to kind of share their experience and their knowledge was really amazing. And what about the like writing assignments, that part of it? Mm. The writing assignments were the most helpful for I feel like understanding like animal behavior terms and the concepts because I would have to go through the module, answer the questions on my own, and then submit them. And then we would get feedback on them. But the feedback wouldn't be like exactly what the answer is supposed to be if it was wrong, right? If it would be asking me more questions about the the question in a different way, maybe so that I could try to come up with, you know, the missing answer on my own, which was, I feel like a really good training technique from M to do that. Mm -hmm. And then further, we would go into the practical and the written assignments together on office hours. So we would discuss things. And sometimes if we weren't absolutely correct, like we would have discussions about them, if we had different, you know, um, things to bring to the conversation, it was really awesome because a lot of the, like, for example, I learned a lot even from the other apprentices because they were asking questions that I wasn't even thinking of. And now you're seeing, you're seeing clients, right? Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. I am like, so, uh, in love with the job that I do and the like 
journey that I've like gone on and the amazing people and pet parents that like have the same values as me, the same mentality as me with their pets that they like really want to be um, doing whatever they can to make their life as like long, full and like happy as possible. And so, yeah, well, I'm, it's so gratifying to, um, to have got to know you over the last few years and to, um, feel like I played a role in helping you find this path feels like a win, a win Mm -hmm. for me. I know I'm never going to cure cancer, but (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing. Yeah. Um, Maybe it's too too different too much of a different topic, but um, I know that we were talking uh, recently about misconceptions about positivity. I thought we could maybe you could explain a little bit about how um, how dog training has changed the way you think about <laughs> being positive. Because we were well, for, for those who are not listening, which is nobody was listening, so <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about. Um, how we both grew up with parents who are like, we're like super like, if you think good things will happen, good things will happen. Like you have to put it out there into the universe. Um, Think good thoughts, picture, picture what you want, which like, I'm not against doing any of that, but I think it is not, um, it's, it's a little bit um, at odds with, I don't know, like science based, science based dog training. No, hundred percent. Yeah. Like you are basically giving up control or whatever, or like, yeah, like even like how responsibility we're, almost. Well, yeah. And well, what, what was, what was your positive, positive, so-called positive childhood? <laughs> like, My childhood was very negative. <laughs> well, I mean, where you, did you feel like if things went wrong, it was like you were blamed for it? Cause I think that's also the other, the flip side of the coin is like, if you don't uh, make the good things happen, it's somehow your fault, which is like certainly relates to a lot of the, you know, Caesar Milan energy based dog training. It's not your, it's not your dog. It's you. It's your outlook. Yeah. Right which I hate that. Um, But I think my positivity was more like, I think it's even worse. It was like, you did nothing wrong. Like it's the universe. Like Mm -hmm. nothing you, which is so backwards or not like it is at odds with like science-based training because basically now it's not like, Oh, you know, like we did our best. It's like, how can we set up the environment? How can we like make sure that what we're doing is proactive so that we are avoiding situations that put us in these, um, you know, negative experiences and then taking that information because sometimes we have up, right. And sometimes like something goes wrong, management fails, whatever we do something wrong. And we're not just going to be like, oopsie, like, moving on what we're going to do is be like where did we like step by step what happened here abc and how can we like set the environment up differently set the plan up differently to like make it better (laughs) like we were talking about that too last time right like that that was part of my response to this this person complaining about their dog peeing on the rug right was like (laughs) like how can we change the environment before anything else? I mean, I, I definitely felt 
and I'm, I mean, I can't say like who or where I got it from, but I think I did feel like more like problems or unhappiness was like in internal, like it was like a cancer inside of me that uh, I had to combat or, um, or that was my fault rather than like, hey, let's figure out maybe how we can alter the environment to change the way you feel and behave. Um, and, and I see that mirrored in the world of dog training as it's, you know, been traditionally, like if there's something wrong with your dog, you're weak. Yeah. You're the problem. The pro you have a problem inside you, your energy is bad. Um, rather than being like, you know, let's like, let's stop pointing fingers at who's the problem and actually like look at how we can. I mean, like literally arrange things, <laughs> yeah. like, like physically arrange things to make things better. Um, I mean, in a deeper way, it goes back to like the whole kind of like divide in psychology between like analytic, you know, analytic psychology and more like behavioral psychology. Um, mm-hmm. What was, what was the hardest part, would you say for you? Oh, the hardest part was definitely the what is it called the verbal discrimination and like the stimulus control with George yeah well maybe you can um explain what those those are so we worked on for months slowly like getting to a discrimination of a verbal cue um with the same object. So that would be saying verbally a, um, for George, it was between pawing something with his hand. So pawing the object with his hand or booping it with his nose. Uh, <laughs> so it so was, te- teaching the difference between a nose touch and a paw touch basically. Yeah. But it was like so hard because we learned with an object <laughs> And so there was like the object cue, which was so strong that you had to like, like get into the stimulus control. And then like, it was so much harder for George to, to respond verbally to the cues as opposed to like, he would, like, if I was like, sit with a, with like my physical cue or whatever, my hand signal, it was just a lot easier. So I think the verbal discrimination was really hard um, for George specifically and for me specifically because it was very, like, it was just frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you got there, though, no? Yeah, we, 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 we actually did. Um, but apparently it was really hard. Um, and what was the, the uh, I don't know. The, the easiest part mm. or the most fun mm. taking all the finals and graduating <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for talking giving me your time and um and i'm just really glad to know you i'm 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 a big leah wiseman fan <laughs> and so excited to see where you go from here and hope that um, we have a long future working together. Um, I think we have some exciting project projects we're both excited about. Yeah. And um, like I said, I think you're just um, 
I love like how you just go for things and thanks, you know, go in heart first. Yeah, totally. And I think you're, I think it makes you brave and, uh, and also lovely. Thank you. Well, Mm -hmm. I was inspired by you and (laughs) am so appreciative and grateful for school for the dogs and for you and the relationship that, you know, we have and, just being, you know, like, like, I feel like you are the start of like my dog training journey. Like it all started with like your voice on like my phone listening and like changed my life. Tears. We're all going to cry. We are accepting applications to the professional course through the end of this month. You can apply at schoolforthedogs.com slash professionalcourse22. And if you just want to learn a little bit more about it, Leah is actually doing free consults right now, as is our other recent graduate, Sarah. You can book a 15-minute session with either of them at schoolforthedogs.com slash freeconsult. Special thanks, as always, to Toast Garden for the theme music. And if you like this podcast, stop what you're doing, go over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a review. Thanks for listening. Hi, I wanted to let you know that I have a brand new, totally free masterclass available and I'd love if you wanted to check it out. It's about an hour long and it goes over three simple things that every dog owner needs to know in order to teach a dog quickly and easily without pain, force, a major time investment or fancy equipment. When you register, you'll also get a free 20 page ebook all about what I call the dog training triad. You can find it at anniegrossman.com slash masterclass.